Hey, this is DJ, and you're listening to the Traveling on Purpose podcast. I'm a travel hacker and personal finance coach, and I'm here to teach you how to travel for free or for a fraction of the cost. In this podcast, I'll share my tips and tricks on how to earn points and miles, get free flights and hotels, and save money on your next trip. I'll also interview other travel hackers and experts to learn more about the latest trends and strategies. So whether you're a beginner or a seasoned traveler, I hope you'll find this podcast helpful and informative. So sit back, relax, and get ready for takeoff. Welcome back, everyone, to another episode of Traveling on Purpose. As you've heard me say before, I am not a good introducer of guests. It's hard for me to put everything into a nice, succinct package. So I always like to let the guests do their own introduction. And today, let me turn it over to Eli. Eli, could you tell the audience a little bit about yourself? Absolutely. Yeah. And thanks for having me here. So my name is Eli Vicente. I go by Eli, the travel guy online. I've been in the travel hacking game for about eight or nine years now myself. And I started a business in this space about three years ago after what was initially something that I discovered and thought was really fun and kind of was a necessity because I didn't have enough money to travel, then turned into a little bit of like a hobby and a passion, and then a little bit of an, a real obsession and then a brand. And then all of a sudden a full business where we have 13 team members and we're helping primarily business owners, but really individuals as well maximize the money they're already spending so they can travel better, travel smarter, enjoy more luxury experiences. And ultimately for me, it's about creating the experiences and memories that, you know, at the end of the day, when you're basically on your deathbed and you're looking back, you're like, damn, I lived a life that I went all out. I really got to live. I got to have these amazing experiences. And for me, that's really kind of the core mission behind is helping people pack their life full of adventure, full of fun and sharing with people that they love. So travel hacking is one of the best tools to do that. And that's why I'm so passionate about it. Couldn't agree more. Now, we glossed over something. I always get really excited when I hear these little nuggets of things that are very easy to pass over, but we're going back. You said you didn't have enough money to travel. What were you up to? Sure. Yeah. So when I first discovered this, I was actually a senior in college. So that speaks for itself right there. But I had just come off a semester abroad and basically, you know, studying in Barcelona, we were traveling to different cities every weekend and I got bit by the travel bug. It was the first time I really got to travel like a decent amount. And I was just hooked. I was like, this is amazing, different cultures, food, like so many different people. It was just so much fun and excitement. And I wanted to do more of it. I was like, I got to do more of this. And so I actually ended up taking a job out of school where I was going to be the first employee to really build this international sports tour company with a couple of guys that I knew. So I was going into the travel industry, which is exciting. But at the time, you know, it was a finance degree at a, at a pretty good university, uh, Lehigh University in, in Pennsylvania, where pretty much all my friends around me was, they were going to Wall Street, right? And they were going to make a lot of money right out of school. They were going to work a ton, but they were going to be you know, set up pretty well. And I wanted to be able to travel with them. And I was taking a job where it was like, hey, there's gonna be freedom, there's gonna be fun, there's gonna be a lot of, you know, opportunity to learn and grow, but you're not necessarily going to have the same income as everyone that you're used to being around. So if you want to hang out with them and go on trips and do this kind of thing, like you got to find another strategy. And I had a mentor at the time who I remember this really was instilled in me. He was like, you don't need money, you need a better strategy. And so when I first heard that, I remember thinking like, okay, I can travel with these guys and I can have kind of these cool life experiences and create life in my own way, but it may not be directly through having a high income job and using that discretionary income to go spend money on travel and experiences. There might be some other strategies. And when I found this, I was like, this is the perfect tool for me. And so that's why I dove in. You mentioned that all your friends were going into Wall Street. You got a degree in finance. Can you explain why you didn't follow everybody else onto Wall Street? Yeah, it's funny. I actually remember after that semester abroad, I was on a high, like living life, had been a girl over there. Like it was like the dreams coming true, right? Like 21 year old, just living peak life experience. And then I came back and I had an internship where I was in a cubicle and it was like the contrast of those two things. I actually started to get like really depressed 
And I started to just be like very confused about life, kind of like started thinking very existentially, like, what the hell are we doing here? Because I just had this euphoric semester of amazingness. And now here I am kind of feeling like I've just seen this like soul sucking job in a cubicle. Everyone around me doesn't really like what they're doing. They're kind of just showing up, checking the boxes, going through the motions. And I'm like, I just feel like there's more to life than this. And I was initially already kind of like interested in the world of entrepreneurship and the idea of embracing life and making your own path. And between those two things, was that big contrast, I was like, I will not go work in a cubicle. Like, I just can't do it. I was like, I don't care if you get a lot of money. I don't, I'm not doing it. And I remember actually thinking at that point, I remember telling my friends, I'm like, my rule of thumb is if I can't show up for my job sleeveless, I don't want it. And so because we would always wear like sleeveless shirts in college. I was like, that's how I want to roll. And that was true for a little while. You know, that changed over time. But that was kind of like my initial kind of rebel spirit. And I was like, look, you know, I'm young. I can take risks now. If I flop on my face, you know, and I'm in my late 20s, I can pick myself back up and do something different. I'll be fine. Right. And so that was the overall philosophy. And it was like, if there's a time to take a risk, it's now, you know, I don't want to be stuck in the trappings of success, quote unquote, where it's like you get all the things and you create a lifestyle and then you need the money to keep up with the lifestyle and you can't leave the job because now you're so ingrained. And so I, I kind of got off the path before I got on it. That is so fascinating because I'm not kidding. This is something I also struggle with, which is like, I cannot work a normal job. I couldn't live life in a cubicle. Yes, I think it had something to do with your trip abroad, but you said you had a rebel spirit to begin with. How much of this do you think is just you, who you are, who you were born as, like this entrepreneurial thing? Because there are a lot of people that go work in a cubicle and, and don't like it, but they are just able to get through it. So how much of this is you at your core? Yeah, I think a lot. I always had a lot of curiosity growing up. I was just like always really curious about things and like asking questions and stuff like that. And I think when you do that enough, you end up going down some interesting paths, right? In your own mind or in, in real life too. That was definitely a big driver for me was that sense of curiosity. And I also, there was a funny thing. I don't really share this too much, but I had a, a funny thing when I was growing up where there was like, a thing that I basically thought was cancerous or something in my body as a kid. And I was like so afraid of it and I didn't want to tell anyone about it. So I lived for several years thinking like I might die soon, which is kind of weird and kind of dark. But at the same time, it gave me this perspective. Life is short. I want to go embrace things and do things. So that was both like a very scary time until I realized like it was nothing, which was a whole other tangent. But that gave me a lot of perspective, I think, just initially as like growing up, just being like, just look at the world a little bit differently, probably than most kids would. I was just thinking maybe some deeper questions at an earlier age. I was just, you know, ready to kind of carve my own path more so because it's like, hey, we're here for a short time and might as well, you know, make the most of it. So I think that was definitely a piece of it too. Wow. When you told your friends, I'm not going to Wall Street, did you get any sort of pushback or like, what are you crazy? Like, come on, man, there's all this money over here. Like, just do it. What kind of responses did you get to leaving kind of the beaten path? I got a couple. It was funny because it spoke more about them than it did about me for sure. Cause it was a pretty wide array. You'd hear, wow, you're an idiot. Your parents paid all this money for college. That's so selfish. I can't believe you do that. They're going to be so upset with you. And my parents weren't upset. But like, that was like their story from how they were raised. Right. And so I would hear that. I would hear some people would be like, of course you're not, dude. Like we all knew you'd never be like that kind of guy. I got some of that. And then there was a lot of like, just people talking about the risk. Be like, man, that's a big risk. You got this like easy opportunity here. You should really take it while you can. Like da, 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 that kind of thing too. And I would say maybe one out of every 10 of my friends would be like, dude, that's badass, man. That's awesome. So a few were really supportive and a lot were just like, this is kind of dumb <laughs> and some, some got a little mad. So I always think with stuff like that, if you're going to do something that goes counter to what everyone else is typically doing, the response that you're going to get typically, again, is really way more about the person responding than it is about whatever you're doing. So I think anytime someone's triggered by, it could be like a world event too, or something, or like a president or whatever, 
usually the response is really not about the actual person or the candidate or the thing. It's like all the person has around that stuff getting to come up to the surface. Whoa, that's very, very profound. And I think there's a lot of people out there who are considering doing their own thing and are getting a lot of negative pushback or, you know, and maybe even their parents are not supportive. And I think there's something inside of you specifically that I hope other people find within themselves, because I personally believe the world would be a better place if we just took these risks and went to pursue our purpose. You know, imagine if we were all doing something that we love. That's the world I want to live in. But I want to commend you. Now, there was one other trigger point in this that I want to bring out. It was that, correct me if I'm wrong, you said you found that you could not work in a cubicle. You experienced it. Tell me about that realization. You're going into work every day. How does your brain suddenly turn and say, I can't do this? Can you talk me through that process? Yeah, it was like a weekend of being excited. I'm going to be in a professional setting. And then for the first week, I was like, dude, if this is what my life is going to be like for the next 40 years. Like, I don't want it. I was like, this is horrible. And it, for me, it was just like soul sucking is really the word. It just feels like your soul is getting sucked out of your body where it's like, you feel lifeless, right? And things feel very bland. And again, maybe not everyone's like that. Maybe some people love doing that or they have different values and working in a cubicle is good for them because they have some other passions and allows them to pour into that. That's great. If that's what makes you feel alive, awesome. But for me, and one of my favorite quotes of all time, it's by a guy named, named Howard Thurman. It's don't ask what the world needs. It's ask what makes you come alive because what the world needs is more people who have come alive. And so to me, it was like, okay, I am like dying in here. And I feel like I would rather be broke. No one around me that can relate to me, but like I'm doing the thing that I really freaking want to do and I'm going yeah. for it. Then try and just like fit in because it was the safe play. Yeah. Well, no one's getting out of here alive. So like, I want to do the shit that I want to do and I want to go for it. And if I fail, I'm just gonna keep trying again. And so that was kind of my philosophy. And it's like, maybe I'll look up in 40 years and regret that, but I'd rather regret having tried everything and looking back and be like, damn, I swung the bat. I really gave everything I had and it didn't work. Then being sitting there and be like, I have everything I want financially or whatever, but I never really got to use years of youth to try something, to really do something that I wanted to do. And so that was really it for me. It was kind of just having that like honest look in the mirror and being like, I'll be able to dust myself off and just kind of having that trust and confidence that you can't. That was a realization somewhere in between filling out spreadsheets in the cubicle. That idea hit me. Oh my God. I want that on a shirt. Can you say that quote one more time for the people? Yeah, I think it might be the best quote of all time, but don't ask what the world needs. Ask what makes you come alive because what the world needs is more people who have come alive. Wow. Yes. I could never have said it better myself. Like that's the kind of underlying thing behind this whole podcast. So, wow, you just summed it up so nicely. One of the keys, I think, to doing your own thing, leaving the beaten path for a second and not having a, like a guaranteed outcome, financial savviness. What were your expenses like when you decided to, I'm going to do something different? Were you mindful of how, how much you were spending? And did you have any sense of how much you spend determines your level of freedom? Any of that play into your thinking? I wasn't the best with this, to be honest. And it's still an area where it's not my ultimate strong suit. And the reason being is because I really believe that for some reason, for whatever reason, that things are going to work out. And so I have some sense of like, you could call it an abundance mindset. That's a very common term, but there's, but in reality, I'm like, there's something that's going to take care of me and help me make it work if I'm like committed to the action. And it's not just like willy nilly being freewheeled and just like chucking things out the door. But I was always more focused on, there's no limit on how much I can make, but there's definitely a limit on how much I can save. So I could spend 10 hours a week trying to budget and save and shrink my life down to a box so that I can save a little bit more here and there. Or I can try and think about, 
how do I get in the door to network with this person that's worth a million dollars so I can learn some ideas that can help me create this in a way where I'm going to love my life and I'm going to make a lot more money. And so I just didn't even put a lot of focus on the savings side. And that does have its downsides for sure. I probably could have been a little wiser with that. But at the end of the day, I put more into investing in myself, my mindset, my growth, my network, the coaches, the mentors, the programs I took, all of that. Because I think like really the, the biggest asset that we have is right between our ears. As long as we're investing into that, to me, it was like, there's no downside because I'll always be able to find strategies to reinvent my life if I need to. So saving to me was never really that appealing. And I always kind of like follow the thing that gives me the most energy. And there's a balance of practicality with that. But saving is not, I don't get stoked to save. And some people do. Like for me, Sethi's pumped about that kind of philosophy. For me, it's more like, I want to think more about like, how do I increase the amount that I'm earning so I can live the way that I want to live? And ultimately, I had to pair that with kind of a global abundance perspective because for a while I had this inner kind of limitation of, well, if I win, then others are losing. And sometimes it still even shows up for me. But in reality, that's not the case, right? There's enough for you, for me, for everybody to win as much as they want. At least that's how I see the world. People value different things and there's no limit on the amount of different things that people can have. We can always create new things. So when you have that kind of more abundant mindset, in my opinion, you go more for what you want and you're less concerned about playing not to lose. Where in the world did you pick that up? Because the abundance mindset, I have the exact same thing. I try to talk to people about it. Sometimes they look at me like I'm crazy, right? How much of that is nature versus nurture? Like were your parents very much like it'll work out or where did you pick this up from? No, my parents were not like that at all. And I don't always live like that either. I mean, there's times where I get freaking terrified. That's part of the game of taking risks. That is part of the fun to some extent. If it was always just up and perfectly smooth sailing, like that wouldn't be a great adventure either. So there's going to be downsides and terrifying times and stuff like that. And that's kind of the part where you get to then reinvent yourself and pick yourself back up. But, you know, I got that through a lot of mentors. I mean, I had a lot of people I looked up to and I would kind of look at how they lived, how they spoke, how they carried themselves, the energy they had. I would look to those people and be like, how are they thinking? Right. And that's how they saw the world. And I would start to ask myself questions because there's one thing to hear it and it be someone else's idea that you're kind of like injecting into you. But then there's times where like think to yourself, and you're like, that's actually pretty true. And then it becomes your own. And that's when it's different because now you're actually living it because that's how you truly see things rather than like you just adopted someone else's thing. And now you're repeating it to yourself in your head. That doesn't really have as much impact. And so, I mean, I kind of just zoomed out. I was like, well, I guess if we live in an infinite universe, there's infinite numbers of thoughts and ideas, which means we can really solve any of the problems that we have. So I guess we can all have what we want. So I guess that's abundance. <laughs> so I was like, how I thought about it. I was like, kind of practical, actually. But that's how I came to my conclusion. With that mindset, I feel like it's kind of rare in normal walks of life to run into someone with that mindset. I think if you get in certain circles, you start seeing a lot of people with that mindset. So entrepreneurship, would you say that you bump into a lot of people who kind of have this way of thinking and it served them totally, well, perhaps? Yeah, totally. And that was a huge part of my path, too, is like who you're around, because it's great to listen to a podcast and hear someone talk like this. But then if you go home, and everyone around you thinks otherwise, on some level, you're going to conform to your environment. You really want to ideally put yourself in person in environments with these people. Podcasts are great because you can listen to it, but it's even better when you're in person and other people are like that. Because now to talk like that, 70 years ago, if I said something like that, everyone that was around would have been like, what are you talking about? But now I say that everyone's like, <laughs> yeah. yeah, obviously. So it's kind of just like, <laughs> you know, it just really depends on, on where you're at. The other thing that I'll just say is like, mindsets are great and worldviews and perspectives to me are great and philosophies are great. But again, that doesn't mean that like you're always going to feel like that, right? Just because you believe in abundance, then we actually have to go take the risk. You have to go swipe the credit card. That doesn't mean you're not going to be like, you still might have some of that, right? So yeah, uh, you're not like doing it wrong if those things happen, because I think that's a very normal thing. Like, you know, your body's designed to keep you safe. If you're taking risks by nature, even though it's not like a, a real lion, like psychologically, you can feel like that. So I don't think that's uh, a bad thing. either. I think a lot of us, we try to adopt some of these mindsets. You have these kind of conflicting 
parts of you, like you want to think abundantly, but then your body or some maybe other beliefs are kind of keeping you a little bit trapped and stuck. And so that can also be an interesting thing to sort through when that comes up for you, but it's just a good opportunity to maybe go a little bit deeper with yourself. We got to talk about that because yes, any entrepreneur out there who's listening has been through this roller coaster. And if you haven't yet, when you're in those valleys or let's call them valleys, right? Where you're experiencing the anxiety or the risk, or I, I don't know how you would characterize it. And I'll let you do that. How do you bring yourself out to the other side? Because this is something I actually dealt with very recently. So any tips you have out there for listeners, we would love to hear. Yeah, likewise, I thought I'd conquered this forever, right? Like years ago, I went through this bout of anxiety and depression and just had another kind of experience of that like over the last like month or so. And I just have come out the other side of it recently. So it's very fresh for me. But the reason at least that I view that I kind of got into this is I ended up kind of playing not to lose instead of playing to win. You're avoiding things because you're scared rather than going for the things that you want. And when you do that, your energies get really contracted things get scary and it becomes much more difficult to operate, right? Especially if you're someone who's used to taking a lot of action and then you feel limited, it can be really like disorienting and confusing. But the thing that I found to be really supportive in that, I have a, a mentor who calls like stepping into tension. So like intentionally choosing, not because you have to, but because you want to, because you know there's some freedom on the other side, find a little bit of a difficult conversation, do a little bit of an action that's like scary, but difficult and frustrating. But you know, if you do it, you have a little bit of that power back, right? The thing doesn't own you anymore. So if there's a conversation you're putting off, it's kind of nagging at you, but you're really afraid to have it because you don't want to piss someone off. You have a conversation. You do the thing that's like the difficult thing to do. And so actually this weekend, I was feeling similar to what we were just talking about. And I was like, God, I'm so frustrated with this. This isn't me. This is like a weird pattern I've been stuck in. I don't know how to freaking break it. And I was at this amazing resort, Travel Hacks, and had this amazing resort at the Miraval, which is this beautiful like adult wellness place. And they have like this little bungee jump, right? So we did this little bungee thing. It's like 40 feet tall. And we went, I was like, oh, that was awesome. It was like a little bit scary, like felt it boom, jumped. I felt a little bit liberated after like did something. And I was like, I need to do that on another level. I should go skydive later this week. And I was like, I've always been terrified of that. And I was like, what if I did it tomorrow? And then I was like, whoa, what if I do it today? And so like five minutes later, I booked the skydiving thing I'd never done before. And then I called him. I was like, you're, you're available for the five o'clock, whatever. They're like, yeah, get up here. Like we're about to close. So you can come. So I drove up to the skydiving thing and skydive for the first time. And that, like, that kind of busted me open a little bit. And so it wasn't because I had to do it though. It was like a choice. That's the big difference is like, if you have the fear of something and you feel like I have to do this because of the, that's never really going to liberate you. But if it's like, I'm doing this because I want to, I'm sick of like having this thing nag at me. It doesn't have to be skydiving. It could be any conversation. It could be business. It can be owning something with your finances and you step into it, then you own it and then you feel liberated and then you feel like you have your power back. And so for me, yes. that's like one of the biggest things is finding those pockets of tension and like consciously and intentionally stepping into it. Whoa. First of all, how was skydiving? I've never done it either. I'm actually a little afraid myself. Did you love it? It was intense, man. <laughs> it was pretty scary, <laughs> but it was fun. It was fun. It's funny. I was actually, because I've built up a lot of stories over time of how scared I was going to be of this. Oh, like I'm going to go out, I'm going to be freaking out. It's going to be terrible. And I have like this panic attack probably. I'm going to jump. Like who knows what's going to happen, all these things. And then I did it. And it was a little bit, it was amazing. It was fun. It was definitely intense, but it was almost a little bit, not dissatisfied, but a little bit like, Hmm, that wasn't that big of a deal. And how much time did I spend worrying about it, thinking about it, thinking it was gonna be this big monster? And I did, and it was like, it's fine. I overthought that so much. Like, how much time did I lose being just enjoying things because I was worried, like, oh, I could never do that. Right. And then you do it, and it's like, yes. that wasn't even that hard. And it's the same thing with anything that we do, you know, talking to the girl, like starting the business. It's always like that. You know, that's kind of the fun, though, I guess. You mentioned going skydiving and then facing your fear, essentially, and then almost being like, hmm. That wasn't as bad as I thought. You've experienced this in life as well. Have you ever fallen like kind of flat on your face and then thought to yourself, maybe it was as bad as you thought, or maybe it wasn't. How do you deal with failure 
Yeah, honestly, it's a great question because as you said that, I was like, I don't think I have. And it's not because I haven't failed, but it's because I've just never viewed it as like an end. And there's just never been a point where I've been like, oh, damn, I'm done. I quit. I suck. Integrate that lesson into the next version of whatever I'm trying. If you just see things as a part of a larger kind of continuum that you're on or whatever, you don't really ever stop moving. So there's just new ways to kind of get a perspective on what you've gone through. So I don't really see it like that. I've definitely fallen on my face a bunch and like things have not worked out. I was running a tour company and then COVID hit and that put us in a terrible position. We were doing international group sports tours and the company, we still run it today, but to go through a pandemic with international large groups, it's like the worst thing you could possibly be in. You know, that wasn't quite quote unquote, like a failure per se, but we got caught in a really difficult position. But I mean, I learned a ton from it too. Would the business be if that didn't happen? Probably a lot bigger, but you know, maybe there's some lessons and things that I learned out of that that are going to help me down the road even more. So you never really know. So I think it's just kind of like not having a timeline that has like a fixed end to it in terms of if you failed or not. At least that's how I view it. Yeah, it's actually a great question. I was like, actually, I don't think I have. You seem very enlightened. Do you read a lot or is it just through a lot of the mentors or just through living experiences? But is there any books you could recommend or something like that? Because I don't know how you pick up these lessons so readily, you know? Yeah, well, I appreciate that. And here's kind of my philosophy on it. Yes, there's a lot of books, awesome mentors. I had a lot with that. One of the books that was the biggest game changer for me was a book called Clarity by Jamie Smart. And I'll share why. I usually like books that are going to help you consciousness. I think it's kind of a, a goofy term, but like awareness or perspective and just like raise your overall perspective on what's going on. And when you do that, you can see more clearly that it's easier to navigate. So that's really helped shift your awareness and your thinking. And then when you have different thinking, you experience different things, you see things differently and the action, the results you take will be different downstream. So a lot of us look at like, what are the actions and the habits that we want? And we try to model someone else. Well, the, the reason that person's doing that thing is because that's a natural byproduct of a person who thinks like that. Well, the rich person does X, Y, and Z because this is how they see the world. And therefore, if you saw the world like that, this would be a natural thing for you to do. So instead of trying to like glue someone else's habit onto you, you ultimately, if you shift the way that you see things, you're going to think differently and then act differently. It would be more alignment with the person that has a result pretty effortlessly. Because like you look at a rich person, they don't feel like blown away that it feels normal, right? And so I think that's kind of the same thing. Even with like travel hacking, it's the same thing. It's like for me, it became very custom to do that and to do some awesome stuff. But the reason that I think that book was so great is because what it taught me was about the ability to have an insight and as a natural propensity for like all humans to have these little light bulb moments, these little realizations and to not discount or discredit the things that you're seeing as being significant or really important for your life. And so I think a lot of times we really value and validate people that are outside of us and be like, oh, this person's wise. This really, you can only ever get like something that is relevant for your life. Something else might kind of help you trigger it, but it's going to come from your own internal awareness where you're gonna be like, ah, that makes sense for me today right now. And that can happen all the time. And so I realized that I was like, oh, shit, that's true. So whenever I've like listened to mentors and stuff, I think for me, I've listened more to like how I'm having my own realizations about what they're saying. And that tends to create a different perspective that feels more like mine rather than the way that everyone else sees the world. So that's how I formulated things. And I'm a big fan of people creating their own framework. You know, there's a lot of like frameworks and ideologies and stuff out there. I like having my own frameworks. Like sometimes I just draw shit on a whiteboard and be like, this is how I see it like this. And it's like a triangle with the thing. And, the, the, and I like to kind of just like articulate ideas like that inside of my own mind because it's fun. And you're kind of maybe integrating a couple of different things. So the book Clarity was a really big one. Another really good one was the Sedona Method. That's more kind of like emotional intelligence. And I would say that one was a game changer. Some of David Hawkins books, Power Versus Force or Letting Go. These are all kind of about like different levels of energy and emotion and stuff like that. 
and they can sound a little bit like kind of woo woo or a little like out there. And in some senses they are, but they're also like pretty practical. And so if you look at it from that framework or that perspective, you can get a lot out of it. So those have been some of my favorites to date. Thank you for that. Clarity, the Sedona Method and books by David Hawkins. For those who are out there listening, go pick up these books. I've never read any of these. So that's very, I appreciate you sharing that. Because you have a different way of thinking, even today, do you run into issues with trying to explain your vision or your outlook or anything like that to other people? And if so, how do you deal with any clashes that occur? Or maybe you've built a world around yourself where it doesn't really happen that much anymore. Yeah, I used to run into that a lot. And it was mostly my own ego trying to make sure that other people validated how I saw life. I felt like I needed to share what I had to do so that I could get the validation that I was doing something right. And I still have that. I think everyone does to some extent, or maybe, maybe not everybody, but a lot of people do. And so I just kind of recognize that a little bit more. But I think the other aspect is just like that book, Clarity, it kind of talks about how like people's perceptions create the reality. And when you kind of see that as like a truth, every single person that's on this planet is having a totally different experience. And so there's no one single way that you're supposed to see things or not. And when I started to realize that I'm like, no, shit, they're not going to see the way that I do because they're not me. I felt a little bit of a less of a need to like have people need to see things the same way that I do or vice versa. But on the same token, it has been really helpful to surround myself with people that are generally going in the same direction and have the same values. Yeah, it is harder to connect, you know, really like talk through some of these maybe like deeper philosophical things or things that you want to do with your life. And when no one's on the same page as you that surround you, you do feel kind of maybe like a lone wolf a little bit. One of my other mentors had a great saying. It was like, where do you live? Where do you visit? You know, if you surround yourself, where do you live? You spend most of your time around people that are thinking similar to you. That's awesome. And then you can go spend time with anyone else. I don't really like the philosophy that you can hear a lot of like personal development, which is like cut out your friends, only spend time with like the positive people. I want to be around that the majority of the time, but I also want to be able to hang out with anybody and like not have to be like, this person has a negative outlook, so I don't ever want to be around them. That person's probably in a lot of pain if they think like that. So it's not like you should just like excommunicate yourself from people in that situation, in my opinion. So I think there are always going to be like clashing worldviews, but surrounding yourself, people in the same wavelength is great. And then being able to be adaptive and be around anyone is also important too. Because if you can only be around positive people, like your life is going to be pretty limited and you're not going to be able to connect with as many people or have as much fun. So yeah, so that's kind of how I see like the interaction side of things. Let's talk about that validation really quick. We are definitely going to get to travel hacking, but I think this is really, really valuable. It's equally as valuable, if not more so than the travel hacking, but we'll get there. Thinking about validation and also pairing that with your entrepreneurial mindset, that means you have a lot of ideas that may not exist. You have a vision for how the world should be. It doesn't exist this way. You're like, I can bring this to pass. There has to be something inside of you that says... I'm not crazy, like this could work. Part of that generally comes from the validation of others. It can come from that. So when you have an idea and it's not being validated, does that affect your ability to push forward with it? And maybe it's a case by case basis. How do you reconcile those two things? Reference experiences, reference points are huge. And so whether they're your own or someone else's, those are valuable, right? Like you can look at someone else that took a risk, they fell on their face, they got back up and they did it. And you're like, that increases your ability to have certainty and confidence that what you can do it's going to be okay. Or that if it doesn't work, you're going to be able to pick yourself back up. And to me, that's the bigger thing is because no one has certainty around any of this stuff. You just trust that if you go before it, you're going to be able to figure it out if it doesn't work. Anyone that's saying it's 100% guaranteed is like, I mean, they're lying to themselves. No one knows that. But you can say like, hey, I'll be able to figure it out. That's always there. So I think having that from others is important. And then having that from within yourself, from your own like past experiences too, looking at times where you took a risk, you bet on yourself and it came to the other side fine. You start to build up enough reference experiences. You kind of just have this internal confidence that even if you're not competent in the thing that you're doing, you're confident enough to be like, I can figure it out. I can pick myself up. I'll be okay. All of those things give you what you need to be able to then kind of take action. So yeah, so that's kind of how I see it. But I think looking at other people's experiences too, if you're just starting out is important because oftentimes you may not have a bunch of those yet. 
And so that's where podcasts, books, biographies, stuff like that are really helpful because you can hear from other people too. It seems like making sure that you surround yourself with the type of thinking that resonates with you is really important to some degree. I mean, you need a bit of variance in there, but when it comes to, I think, entrepreneurs, I've seen a lot of entrepreneurs fail simply because they quit because they were around people who weren't supportive. Until you have these kind of reference experiences, it can be really detrimental to be around people who are kind of like speaking negatively about your vision. However, though, it almost sounds like it's a muscle where the more reference experiences you have, the more reps you have of seeing yourself miss the mark, but still be able to like keep moving forward, the more you can learn to depend on yourself and the more you can step into situations that you're uncertain of because you're like, I'll figure it out. I've been in situations like that I wasn't sure about before. It'll be okay. Is that kind of, there's some truth to that kind of the reps and building the muscle? Totally. I think that's absolutely true. I think a big piece of this is integrity and like self-honesty too. Because if you tell yourself one thing and then you say, I'm going to do this for a year and try it. And then it's been a year and it completely failed. And then you're like, well, I'm just going to keep going. Like, and you see, you made a commitment to yourself that after a year you reassess, then you're kind of diluting yourself a little bit unless you kind of make a new agreement with yourself. So I think having that sense of integrity and commitment to like, what did I actually say I was going to do? How do I hold to that is really hard, but it's really important because it's easy to then kind of just move the goalposts a little bit, right? Again, if you get to an end of a year and you set a new agreement, you're like, it didn't work, but I really think for whatever reason, I have conviction. I want to try it again. Awesome. At least you're still then in integrity. You set a new agreement with yourself. And I think a lot of us have the tendency, myself included, you get out of integrity with yourself and then everything starts to fall apart. And so that is like a core pillar for me, but also marrying that with like zooming out too, because like what you're talking about is kind of getting momentum. And when you're testing something, you're not really sure, like a new business, like the business I have now, I failed at it three times before it finally caught traction. So there was like a bunch of false starts and times where I'm like doubting it. You're like, I don't think this is going to work. I don't know. Maybe this is a stupid idea. Maybe they are right. Like all these things over time, you can kind of zoom out and be like, oh, I just didn't get us enough of a time horizon. And I think in today's world, we're so used to things being so instantaneous. If you're going to do something like a bigger trajectory shifting thing, a relationship, a business, those take a little more time. And you want to give it the proper amount of time and really zoom out and allow it to like have a process. Because if you're trying to like start a business and it doesn't work in three months, you're just probably looking at it in too short of a, a time horizon too. So I think depending on what you're trying to do, or you're trying to change a part of like your weight and stuff like that, if it's not working in two weeks, it's like, well, it's only been two weeks. So I think we all get caught in that a little bit too. So zooming out is super helpful. I actually have a poster right next to me. It's like your life in weeks. And so it has a checkbox for every week based on an 80 year timeline. And so it helps me zoom out a little bit and be like, oh, okay, I'm like on this box right now of my life. I've only been doing this for maybe like four of these boxes. It really hasn't been that long. So I can like relax a little bit. That sounds like a cool poster. And what I'm hearing is that you're setting kind of these realistic checkpoints along the way to sort of balance the optimism and the like, you know, it could work. It seems like it's good to do this early on to set what the checkpoints are going to be, because I think as you get closer to the checkpoint, you're more likely to be able to convince yourself of things. But are you saying you kind of give yourself a healthy amount of time relative to what you're trying to accomplish and then have a real check-in with yourself around that period where you think, you know, like, okay, we should be assessing how it's going. Is that right? Absolutely. I do think that's depending on what you're endeavoring on. Like I think mentors are super, super helpful there, especially something that's like more easily measurable relationships, maybe a little bit more tough. If you're doing something with a business, it's pretty measurable. Business is a lot of inputs and outputs and testing variables and stuff like that. And so if you have a mentor who's been through it, they're going to be able to be like, okay, you tried this for 30 days. It hasn't worked. Like that's enough time. And they'll have a sense for you. I've always been a big proponent of that. Like when I was launching this business, I was starting to test things. And I remember after like two weeks, something not working, I got really frustrated. And the mentor was like, give it two months. And then I did it for two months. I started to see some results and he's like, okay, what'd you learn? 
And then I learned a couple of things. He's like, okay, so I'm going to double down on the piece that worked. Give it another two months. Did another two months. And then I was like, oh, this actually kind of works. And it was like, I was ready to quit before, but I just hadn't tested enough things. So mentors can help you see where you are on that map as well. And that's a perfect transition. I want to apologize to the audience because we're going to get to travel hacking a little bit, but we're going to have to have you back because that was worth exploring. And I really hope to help some people out there. Now, you mentioned you have a business and you said you failed three times at this business. Can you please tell us more about the business that you have now? Yeah. So basically, you know, we're in the points and miles world and we're really helping specifically high spend business owners, but we have courses and stuff that apply to everybody. But we mostly work with high spend business owners that want to travel. They want luxury. They're spending a lot. They're very busy. They don't have time to figure this out. They have the opportunity to really generate a lot of points and optimize their travel really efficiently because of the amount of spend they have. And by nature of their careers, generally the amount of travel they have. And so what we're doing is we're helping consult. We have courses, coaching programs, done for you services, training of their assistant and all that stuff to really help them get optimized. And that's what we do A to Z. So we've got a full service team. And when I first started out, I built this with the intention of, hey, I want to teach points and miles because it's been such a game changer in my life. And what I realized is like, I wanted to connect with other business owners. I really wanted to help in that space because I had a few reps of already helping other business owners. And I realized like I can do a lot for them. But one of the big mistakes I first made was I started to try to coach all of them. I teach all this information. And while it is amazing information, and for a lot of us, it's like I could geek out on it all day, you know, because I love it and it's fun. And it's like a choice to want to do it. For a lot of people, they're like, feel like it's like taxes. They're like, dude, I don't care, man. Just like get me on the plane. You got to know how to approach the right person. So we shifted things quite a bit and we went from initially kind of coaching to more than consulting and service oriented. And that's what we do now. Can you quantify high spend business owners? So in case there's someone listening, where's kind of the threshold? It's like, okay, let's go work with Eli now. Yeah, I'd say 15, 20K a month. We have a couple of clients that are spending over a million a month, but the majority of ours are 20, 30, 40, 50K a month in that range. Another chunk is probably in that 50 to 100 range. And then there's like a few above that. So you don't have to be spending a lot. But I like to say the more you spend, the easier it is to do this, obviously. And the less you spend, the more strategic you need to be. I was first starting out, I was spending 1,000, 1,500 bucks a month. I had to basically do everything, sign up bonuses, retention offers, referrals, all the different ways, you know, Rack of 10, shopping portals, gift cards, like everything that you could do to maximize points, I was doing because I had to hunt every single method as we've grown the business. I don't spend a crazy amount, but I'm spending like 20K myself a month. And between all the different cards and everything, like I'm earning now a good amount of points with a little bit less effort at this point. So that's been like my path for it, but that's also who we're kind of focusing on helping. You seem very intelligent. You could have done a lot of different things. This is pretty unusual. Like there's probably not a lot of people that have chosen this path. Why points and miles? Why business owners? And what did you consider before this? Was there anything else or was it just a natural progression into this? Well, so I was doing the travel company and we've been building it up, building it up and then COVID hit. And it's kind of a funny story because some people asked me, I was already doing really well the points and miles thing. And I had some people ask me for help. I had some kind of side consulting clients that I was helping. And I had no intention of really starting this into a business for a while. And then COVID hit and the tour company came to a screeching halt. You know, my income was basically going to be reflected in that. And I realized this isn't going to be an overnight thing eventually. And I was like, this might take a while. I need to start something on the side. And quite honestly, it's a little embarrassing a bit. But I had some friends that I'd seen on social media that I was like, great person, not the most insanely intelligent guy. And he's making like 25K a month doing like lead generation for real estate agents. And I was like, this is so frustrating. This guy, he's making a lot of money. And I know that I could do this, that this guy could do it. And that's just the honest truth. All right, how do I start as an online business? It's on the side and can complement what we're already doing with the tour company because it's going to take a while to build this thing back up. So I was like, oh, maybe I can do the points and miles thing. Well, it was still also during the middle of the pandemic. So that's a pretty bad time to try and launch anything in travel. But mm -hmm. I did try and took a couple of attempts. And that's kind of how I started out. I had the skill set. People were already asking for me. I wanted to create something that was online and that was scalable. 
that I could really create an awesome lifestyle with and can really help people too. And when I started to like patch all that together, I was like, this is the business. So that was kind of the initial driver. Okay. And there's a lot of people who are just starting off and who know a little bit of something about points and miles. What advice can you give high level to someone who's thinking about going into not as deeply as we have into the points and miles game, but you know, they want to earn some vacations and things like that. Where can they start? I always like to break it into a couple of different things. So the three kind of key buckets that I categorize things into is number one, pretty simple, maximize the amount and types of points you're earning by using the right cards on the right expenses. That's number one. Number two is going to be upgrade and unlock your kind of everyday travel experience. So the quick trips here and there. And then number three is going to get optimal value out of your points. So that's kind of the categories that I break them into. And in that first one where I'm saying maximize the amount and type of points you have, the most important thing to me to start is the type of points. Because when I started out, I don't know about you, but I got like all the wrong cards and I was just earning points in, in programs that were pretty worthless. They weren't transferable. Like I was like, I'm going to go to Japan. I'll get a Southwest card. What? Like, why would I do that? <laughs> I had no idea. Right. And so I didn't realize like any of this stuff. Oh, you can't use Southwest points to fly on Japan Airlines. Like, that's weird. Yep. I didn't know how any of this worked. So the right points would ideally be transferable bank points, Chase, Amex, City, Capital One, Brex. They used to have a better program or you could use built. So starting to optimize with those so that you have the transferable points and then doubling down, obviously, on what are your top everyday expenses, what are going to have the best bonuses, trying to get the bonuses at the highest possible opportunity. So those are really some of the basics. But I think what's most important for most people starting out, that's obviously the kind of key to get in the game, but it's really going to be getting better value out of your redemptions. Like that's the game changer, especially when you're early on, it's harder to accumulate a lot of points. And if you just blow through them on a single trip, you know, from New York to Vegas round trip, and you just dumped 150,000 points on that because you don't know what you're doing, that's going to completely destroy you. If you could do the same trip on 15,000 points, right? So that's going to be the game that most people want to be aware of and probably start to dip their toes in slowly because you know, as well as I do, that's a piece of the puzzle that gets a little bit more complicated, but that's where the deals are really ultimately found. The word I hear all the time is complex, overwhelming. I don't know where to start with this stuff. I'm reading all these different blogs. Are there sources of information you can recommend for people who are just getting started? Depends on the path that you want to go. And I think that's important before you start out on this. I wish someone had told me this. How much time do you want to invest in this? How knowledgeable do you want to be? How much do you actually want to travel? And how much do you want to be using this? Because I kind of just went in blindly. It was like, I'll just start reading. And I didn't really have a clear plan of like, I want to turn this into a hobby. I want to be like traveling all the time. I kind of just like started going and going. And I was like aimlessly walking through the woods of points and miles. There's all this stuff. Oh, I'll read about this. Okay. Transfer partners. Okay. Transfer bonuses. Okay. Award space, partner space, expert flyer. And so I'm like going through all this stuff, just with my head spinning, but I didn't even know where I was trying to get to. So I would say figure that out first, because that will help dictate, do you want to just be reading blogs and watching social media reels? Or do you want to take a course? Or do you want to hire someone that can coach you? Or do you want to get a service, right? Because there's all sorts of different options out there. And you can really pick any of those. And just because you want to travel for free doesn't mean you necessarily need to learn all this. You could pay someone that can help you with your redemptions. There's a lot of ways out there to get the result without you having to become the absolute master yourself. And so for a lot of our clients, for example, I'll tell them, you should treat this probably like taxes unless you're really interested in it because it's fun for you. But otherwise, treat it like you would an accountant. You shouldn't be doing your bookkeeping. You shouldn't be filing your taxes. You don't want to read the tax code. The same thing applies here. But for someone else who's starting out, that's like a backpacker or someone that's a family traveler that's like really excited about it. I mean, all the websites, all the social media accounts, I don't think there's one right or wrong place to start because most places are going to take you on the journey of going from like beginner content all the way into like more advanced, no matter where you look. So if that's the path you want to go, I would just suggest finding someone's voice that you really align with and you like, because then it's going to be more fun to learn from them. There's a lot of different flavors of points and miles influencers and travel hackers out there. And some are cool. Some to me are annoying. Some are really like badass and like 
you know, there's all mixed, but everyone's sharing really good information. So find the one that you like and stick with them. Some people are going to be listening to this and they're going to go, I like you, Eli, but I'm not a high spending business owner. Is there anything that you have for them or any way you can help the people who are kind of just starting out? We do have courses that are designed for anybody. And we do even teach business credit in there. So if you're someone who wants to figure out how to start and potentially scale a business using 0% interest business credit, which is a whole other strategy within the credit game that most points people don't, either don't know about or don't talk about, but there's ways where you actually can tap into business credit and financing to start or scale something, which we can talk about if we want to. But we have courses on that and we'll go in depth, but we go really in depth in the whole personal credit game, personal credit foundations, personal credit cards, optimizing all that optimizing redemptions and getting good bang for your buck out of your points. And we have a mini course as well that you can go onto my Instagram. You can just DM me the word mini. It's just M-I-N-I. And it's normally 50 bucks. We'll send it to you for free. And that's all about foundations of credit and foundations of picking the right cards, getting started, understanding what the right points are for you and really how to maximize some of those card benefits. I have some top recommendations in there and a couple intro examples of like redemptions. We don't go as much into that in the mini course, but if you do have interest in learning from us, definitely check that out. And on Instagram, I'm always sharing stuff on reels and also a lot of stories like walking through exactly how we do it and even showing client examples too that you can follow along with as well. If you want to get that course, go to Eli's Instagram, D-M-M-I-N-I, mini. If you like what you're hearing and you happen to know someone who's also a business owner who spends a lot of money, do Eli a favor, send them over. One thing I like to ask to all the guests, and we will wrap up here. We got to have you back though, because like I said, we barely scratched the surface. But if there's someone listening out there, giving spirit, and they just love to help, is there anything, it doesn't have to be travel related, is there anything in your life that you could use a little bit of help with right now? You could use some advice on or just some guidance, anything at all. Yeah, so there actually is one thing that if anyone knows the best travel surf spots. I've just gotten more into surfing a little bit. Obviously, love to travel and I want to make that kind of a, a blend of my passions. Surfed in Costa Rica, surfed a little bit in Portugal, San Diego. And I know there's some places like, you know, Bali and stuff like that that are good. But any places where you're like, oh, you have to go here. It's an awesome mix of culture and awesome stuff and really amazing surf, not like expert, expert level, but just beginner surf. I'd love to know because yeah, I love combining passions like that. I haven't really ever poked my head around that. So I'd love to get any recommendations. And also the Instagram is Eli Travel Guy. I'm sure we can link that down below. But uh, people may be wondering, where do I send this message to? And that would be E-L-I travel guy. That was perfect. That was exactly my next question, which is if people want to reach you, how do they do it? And one more time, can you say it for the people? Eli travel guy on Instagram. And you can go to freedomtravelsystems.com if you want to check out more about our services and the company as well. I cannot thank you enough for being willing to come on that conversation. I needed it as an entrepreneur myself. Man, I tell you, it's so great to surround yourself as much as possible with people who know the journey. So it was really good to be able to talk to you. So thank you. Hope we can have you back. Yeah. Thanks for having me. It was a blast. You have some great questions and are super passionate about what you're sharing here. And I think people get a lot of value out of that. So thanks for having me on. My pleasure, my friend. And for everybody out there, just remember to keep traveling on purpose. I'm still working on my closing tagline. We're feeling some things out, but <laughs> everyone, thank you for listening. You take care. Bye. Thank you for listening to the Traveling on Purpose podcast. I hope you enjoyed this episode and learned a few new things about travel hacking and personal finance. If you did, please leave us a review on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. It will really help us out. To learn more about travel hacking, be sure to check out our website at vacayhq.com. You can also follow us on social media for the latest tips and tricks. Until next time, happy travels.